Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Music is one of those things that can bring families together. And sometimes that togetherness grows into a business. The Bee Gees had the three Gibb brothers. Baby brother Andy Gibb was also part of that universe for a while. Then there's the Beach Boys. The original lineup included Brian, Dennis, and Carl Wilson and their cousin Mike Love. Murray Wilson, the father of Brian, Dennis, and Carl, was their manager. He was terrible at it. In fact, Murray was the worst thing ever for his sons, but at least they were all together. Or something like that. Three brothers, their father, and a cousin. Then we have the Cowsills. This was a 60s pop group from Rhode Island who had a series of hits. Six siblings in this one. Bob, Bill, Barry, John, Paul, and Susan. They ranged from 8 to 18. And they were joined by their mother, Barbara. And before you ask, yes, this arrangement was the inspiration for the TV show The Partridge Family. So that's seven people, which actually later became eight when Bob's twin brother Richard joined up for a bit. Then we have to talk about the Jackson Five, Michael, Jackie, Tito, Jermaine, and Marlon. When the group left Motown, Jermaine stayed behind and was replaced by Randy. So that's six members of the Jackson Five. And then we have Janet, LaToya, and Rebby. So that's nine and then everything was run by Father Joe Jackson, who is another abusive disaster. So the count there is 10. So all this got me thinking, are there equivalents in the world of alt-rock? What are the biggest family affairs that genre has ever seen? Let's take a look. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Welcome again. I'm Alan Cross, and I'm calling this show It's a Family Affair. If you're into music and you have siblings, chances are you've done something musically related with them. Maybe you've sung with them, played with them, even performed with them. This is going to be a little different, though. Okay, there were plenty of bands featuring two brothers. Okay, Oasis, Radiohead, uh, Jesus and Mary Chain, Good Charlotte, 30 Seconds to Mars, and lots of groups featuring sisters like Tegan and Sarah, The Breeders, and a chunk of brother-sister outfits like No Doubt, Broods, and uh, I guess The Carpenters. We're going to look at projects where the family ties are even greater, kind of like the examples I gave with the Beach Boys, the Councils, and the Jacksons. And I think the way we'll proceed is as if we're playing poker. And I think you'll see what I mean. We're going to start with a pair of brothers and a cousin. They started as a cover band called Village Idiot. Their brothers were Chad and Mike Kruger, along with cousin Brandon Kruger and their friend Ryan Peake. You probably already know who I'm talking about. By 1995, they had changed their name to Nickelback, Mike Kruger used to work at Starbucks and found himself saying to everyone, here's your Nickelback. A stepfather provided $4,000 in seed money to record a seven-track EP called Hesher, and whatever was left was um, spent on a big bag of mushrooms. It was a no-strings-attached loan. Anyway, this lineup of two brothers, the cousin and the friend, remained intact for this EP and an album entitled Curb, which came out in 1996. Cousin Brandon left the band a year later, and since then, there are just the two brothers in Nickelback. But for that brief time, we had two brothers and a cousin, all from Hannah, Alberta. And here's a track from that debut indie record. This is Where. Love me Nickelback from 1996, two brothers and a cousin at that time. Now we're going to move up to two pair, 
although that hand was once a little bit better than that. Devo first came together in 1973 as a joke band at Kent State University. It began with Gerald Casale and Mark Mothersbaugh. Gerald brought in his younger brother Bob, and Mark roped in his brother Bob. They were known as Bob One and Bob Two. And at one point, another Mothersbaugh, a guy named Jim, was brought in to play his homemade electronic drums, but he didn't stick around for very long. When Devo was at its peak, it was the two Casale brothers and the two Mothersbaughs. And that would be the lineup today if Bob Caselli hadn't died of heart failure in 2014. And just so you know, he was cremated and his remains were placed in a 3D printed urn that looks exactly like one of those weird flower pot things Devo used to wear in their heads. Uh, those, by the way, are called Devo Energy Domes. So let's uh, hear something from the era when Devo had two pairs of brothers. The album is Freedom of Choice from 1980. And this song was once covered by Soundgarden, who loved Devo. This is Girl You Want. She's just a girl. She's just a girl. The girl you want. Devo, a band that contained two pairs of brothers. Now let's move up to a group with two brothers and a sister. The roots of the Cowboy Junkies are in a punky sort of band called Hunger Project, which was formed in Toronto in the early 1980s and existed for a while in New York. One of the principals in that group was Michael Timmons. Now, the Hunger Project did not work out, so the group collapsed and reassembled in an experimental group called Germinal. They got some good reviews, especially in the UK, but it didn't really work either. So everybody went back to Toronto to start all over again. And this is when Michael brought in his younger brother, Peter, to play drums. And at some point, Sister Margot was invited into the rehearsal space. She'd always loved singing, you know, school plays, camp productions, or maybe just around the house. And when Hunger Project was a thing, she worked as part of the road crew, working the door. When Michael was off touring with Hunger Project in Germinal, she was in university planning to be a social worker. But then in 1985, she started singing with Michael and Peter in their garage, and they soon developed an interesting down-tempo, almost whispery sound. And that sort of came about by accident because the neighbors called the cops on one of the rehearsals for making too much noise, so they just kind of toned it down. After an indie record that didn't sell very well, a producer named Peter Moore set up a single microphone in a church, the Church of the Holy Trinity in downtown Toronto, to record a new album on a single night. That was November 27th, 1987. And the cost of that project was $150, including the price of pizza for the night. The album was called The Trinity Session, and it became an unexpected international hit, going platinum in both Canada and the United States. And the thing that did it was this cover of the Velvet Underground's Sweet Jane. Cowboy Junkies with Margot, Tim, and Peter Timmons, two brothers and a sister. Now let's move to a slightly different combination. Twin brothers and another brother. This is the makeup of the Cribs. The Cribs are from England, and they feature twins Gary and Ryan Jarman and their younger brother Ross. This is the only lineup the band has ever known, with the exception of the time Johnny Marr, yes, the Smiths guitarist, 
was part of the band. He stuck around for three years. He was such a fan of the group that when they asked him to join up, he said, yeah, sure. The Cribs never managed to make it big outside the UK and Europe, but they were substantial stars at home, selling plenty of records and winning a whack of awards. Here's a single from their fourth album entitled Ignore the Ignorant. This was one of the records that featured Johnny Marr. This is called We Share the Same Skies. The Cribs, featuring two identical twins and their younger brother. And for that song, Johnny Marr, ex of the Smiths on guitar. We'll continue this family affair exploration with more examples of three of a kind and then moving up from there in just seconds. We're sorting through the family units that have made an impact on alt-rock through the decades. And like I said at the beginning, while there are many of groups that feature two members of the same family, we're looking at outfits that contain more than that. The next example is another three of a kind, the three Ferris brothers from In Excess. The group started with Andrew Ferris. He was in a high school band called Dr. Dolphin and somehow managed to convince a classmate named Michael Hutchins to join up. In 1977, Tim, Andrew's older brother, asked if he, Michael, and another member of Dr. Dolphin named Gary Beers, if they wanted to merge with a group called Guinness, which was not named after the beer, but a dog and they also invited younger brother John Ferris to join. This became the Ferris Brothers, and when the Ferris family moved to Perth, the other guys in the band stuck together under the name The Vegetables. But then, everybody was back together in Sydney by 1979, where they started performing under the name In Excess. That's back when it was really hot to have what I call a license plate name. You know, In Excess, U2, XTC, and originally, the idea was to try to break into the Christian rock market, which lasted about a minute. In Excess has gone through a lot since then, a lot of international success, multi-platinum albums, paving the way for other Australian bands, and of course, the apparent accidental suicide of Michael Hutchins in that Sydney hotel room in November of 1997. There were several attempts to keep going with a different singer, but the public has pretty much been indifferent to everything, so the band has officially called it quits. But from 1977 through to the end, in Excess always contained three Ferris brothers, Andrew, Tim, and John. Next up is another group featuring three brothers, Greta Van Fleet. They're really from the middle of nowhere, a central Michigan town called Frankenmuth, Population? About 5,000. The biggest attraction is the self-proclaimed world's largest Christmas store. This is where the Kiska family grew up. Three brothers, Josh the singer, his twin brother Jake, the guitarist, and younger brother Sam, the bass player. They were always surrounded by the music of their parents. Music that tend to lean towards the classic side. Loads of old rock and old blues. And because Frankenmuth was pretty much off the beaten track, this was the music that they absorbed. Everything from Zeppelin and Hendrix to Joni Mitchell to folk and blues from the 30s and 40s. You know, Muddy Waters and Robert Johnson, that sort of thing. The band was formed in 2012 when Josh and Jake were around 14 and Sam was 11. Danny Wagner joined as the current drummer about a year later. They didn't have a lot of gear. 
Josh, for example, didn't have his own vocal amps, so he had to develop a style where he could be heard over the guitars and drums. And according to Jake, which is what he told me, this is how John ended up with that Robert Plant-like delivery. It just evolved naturally out of trying to be heard, although I'm sure some of the old Zeppelin records around the house helped. There was a live EP in 2014, then a song was picked up for use in a local Chevy TV commercial. That led to more recording, which eventually resulted in a single called Highway Tune. It was subsequently included on an EP called Black Smoke Rising, and since then, things have kind of exploded. I think that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, uh, an important childhood with music, you know. It's like, there are three of us, our brothers in the band, and um, we grew up around a lot of our parents' vinyls. Um, and it was it was a lot of that stuff. And we were kind of raised in a, a musically uh, um, nurturing environment where it wasn't necessarily just music, but there was a lot of film and a lot of literature. And, and we had a lot of um, traditional music, you know, lying around. And it was kind of when like... you say traditional, what do you mean? Like roots music, like blues that was, you know, Elmore James, Willie Dixon, Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, you know... All the Kings, that, you know, very early on American blues stuff. That wasn't necessarily, you know, because, and then folk, you know, like people like Arlo Guthrie and, and Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, John so, Denver. So this was your, your mom and dad? Yeah, a lot of that. I think that a lot of it was put there in purpose, being that it was traditional, you know, that early, early on music, a lot of early American music. And it's like, you know, it wasn't until like, I think about high school that we all started getting into what is, you know, commonly known for is rock and roll, you know, a lot of the British invasion and that sort of stuff. And it was like, when you say British invasion, we're talking sixties British invasion. Yeah. Okay. And, and, um, I think, you know, that we figured, we, you know, it was like, we came together and sort of started just organically playing around musically. And that's, you know, it's just sort of what happened. I suppose that's a, 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 a benefactor of our, um, our youthful ignorance in the sense that we don't particularly, we're not really, you know, going for one sound or another, that it, it was something that sort of organically just kind of naturally happened. I'm going to make a a guess here saying that if, if there had not been three brothers in the band who had grown up around this kind of music, that you wouldn't be what you are now. Right. You wouldn't say, because you've all had, you all had the same and you know, two of your twins, right? So you're all the same sort of age. And, uh, you all picked up on the same things at the same time. Yeah, right? same life experiences right. that we've shared, commonalities and things like that. And it's very easy to communicate, you know, especially, you know, just in general, but artistically, I think that we're on a, you know, we're very on the same page a lot of the time where it's like, well, what creatively has to happen here when we come to a juncture where we're deciding, well, should the, you know, what should the guitar be doing here? And I think we're all like, yeah, it should be doing this. Or, you know, it's like as an example, but, you know, that affects the live performance as well because it it may just take a glance at someone for them to know exactly what you're talking about or where you're going. That's brothers. Yeah, right. Because you've grown up around each other and you have all this, you have a secret language. Right. You don't even know it, you have a secret it's language. It's body language too, yeah. Greta Van Fleet, another example of three brothers in a band, two of whom are twins. You're probably wondering when I was going to get to Kings of Leon. Okay, we'll do that now. Here we have three brothers and a cousin, 
The brothers are Nathan, the oldest, then it's Caleb, and finally Jared Followell. There is a fourth Followell, and that's Matthew. He's a cousin. The Leon in their name is in honor of Grandfather Leon Followell, who died in 2014. The group itself was formed in 1999. Everybody uses their second name in the band. Nathan's first name on his birth certificate is, for example, Ivan, which was his father's name. Caleb's first name is Anthony, Jared's is Michael, and the first name on Matthew's driver's license is Cameron. All right, back to the three brothers. Ivan, the dad, was a fire and brimstone preacher who bundled his homeschooled sons in a car and took them on the road to revivals across the U.S. South, which must have been fun. I would imagine that traveling with dad, the Pentecostal minister, that you've got a bunch of rather unique road stories about traveling with dad, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for us, it was it was good times. It was, you know, family all together on the road. So, I mean, you know, just normal road trip stories, pretty much. There wasn't anything really crazy going on. Um, but, but dad liked to rock. I mean, he would put on, you know, the Stones and Neil Young in the car when mom wasn't there, right? Yeah, when she'd fall asleep, he would. Um, that was actually my best memories was when I had everyone was asleep and I would stay up with my dad and we'd listen to music or I was just really I would stay up to keep him awake for the long drives but yeah we had we had some good times what else would you listen to Neil Young it was the Stones it was Zeppelin what else what uh um pretty much whatever was on the AM AM radio at two o'clock in the morning because he would he would put it on sports to make my mom go to sleep because she would get so bored she would pass out then as soon as she would go out he would uh flip through the uh, AM stations until he came across a... See, there's nothing like driving through the South with an AM radio on in the middle of the night. Because the stuff that you hear is like, you don't hear that kind of stuff anywhere else in the world. Uh, yeah, it was quite, cool. quite interesting. We would, he, he would also listen to, um, if he came across someone that was preaching on the radio, we would listen to it. And, and there were some funny, funny preachers. Like, just not that smart of people but you know they were on the radio trying to reach out to people and we would have a good laugh at them there was a station out of nashville i used to do late night club gigs and i would drive home through the country and with the am radio on at the far right hand end of the dial which is where all the low power stations were and i remember picking up stations from virginia and south carolina and tennessee and kentucky and you're right, some of those preachers were really kind of weird. This one guy was trying to sell people uh, a lucky thing for your shoe. And what he would, <laughs> he wanted you to send in a donation, he would send you this lucky thing for your shoe. And it was, it was hysterical. That's pretty funny. Yeah, they'll try to sell you anything. I mean, Sounds about right. Anything can get you to heaven on the radio. <laughs> I actually saw one guy, a televangelist one time, that was actually trying to sell the tears from Jesus that he wept on the cross, like the most ridiculous, like, and there were people that were literally for $39.99, you could actually get. They never evaporated or anything, it's crazy. And there were actually people that bought, I'm like, who the hell was there with a little like, yeah, could you cry into this bucket, please? Someone who's a very smart investor, $39 now, that's like a million dollars in the Bible days. <laughs> and now that you know all that, a lot of Kings of Leon music starts to make sense in a different sort of way, doesn't it?
This is a family affair, a look at alt-rock groups built around a substantial family unit. And next up is the first of a four-of-a-kind group, four siblings in the same band, or at least that's the way it used to be. When Echo Smith was formed in early 2009, there were three brothers and a sister, Sidney, Noah, Graham, and Jamie Sirota. They all started playing together at home when they were kids and eventually moved to playing farmer's markets around where they grew up in California. That lineup stayed intact through to the end of 2016, which means this is how things were when they had a platinum single with this song, Cool Kids, from 2014. Echo Smith and Cool Kids used to be three brothers and a sister, but they've since been downgraded to two brothers and a sister since 2016. Then we have Congos, four brothers here, Johnny, Jesse, Daniel, and Dylan. Their father is John Congos, who was also a recording artist. He was born in South Africa, and some of his songs were adapted by the Happy Mondays, most notably his 1971 song, He's Gonna Step On You Again, which the Mondays interpolated into their hit, Step On. John Congo's sons grew up in South Africa and London before moving to Phoenix. And coming from an obviously musical family, they started performing as Congos in 2007 while they were still in South Africa. By 2012, they were having some single success and were scooped up by a major label in 2014. This led to a re-release of their second album, which they called Lunatic. It has since sold close to 2 million copies worldwide. And this has been their biggest hit so far, which, by the way, was written by Dad. There's a family unit, the four Congos brothers, with a song written by their father. We have time for one more family effort, and this is, this is a weird one. In 1969, long before people started making music that was deliberately lo-fi, there was a group of sisters from Fremont, New Hampshire, who released what could be the definitive lo-fi record of all time. They were called The Shags. You may have heard this name before. The Shags are often name-checked by famous musicians asked to name their favorite garage rock recordings of all time. And they are also, paradoxically, quite possibly the worst group to ever walk into a recording studio. The Shags were initially the three Wiggins sisters. Later, they would be joined by a fourth sister. They were managed and produced by their father, Austin Wiggins, and I'm putting air quotes around managed and produced. Despite being dirt poor, he bought his children instruments and paid for lessons. And then he drove everybody down to Massachusetts in order to get his girls on tape while they were still at, um, at their peak. That's, that's what he was thinking. The man must have had some kind of a hearing problem because his daughters were awful. They recorded a dozen songs in less than a day. Dot Wigan was the chief songwriter and her creations had titles like My Pal Foot Foot, which was about her cat, and That Little Sports Car. The result was a record called Philosophy of the World. Now, do not say I did not warn you, but before we listen, just remember that Kurt Cobain ranked this album as number five 
on his top 50 albums of all time. My pal's name is Football Full. He always likes to roam. My pal's name is Football Full. I never find him home. I go to his house, knock at his door. People come out and Those are the Shags with My Pal Footfoot Foot from their 1969 album, Philosophy of the World. That is one of the great cult records from the last 50 years. It is weird, it is hard to listen to, and guaranteed to chase everybody out of a party at the end of the night. But, given its legendary stature, and the fact that four sisters and a father were involved, it fit our whole theme of family units. Apologize for that, but I'm, I'm just trying to be complete. And thus endeth our lesson in family cooperation over the history of alt-rock, or uh, something like that. Again, I try to keep things away from the two sibling acts that we see all the time, you know, Radiohead, Oasis, The Kinks, Happy Mondays, so on, just so we could have something a little bit more expansive. If you have anyone else that should be on our family unit list, you can drop me a line through alan at alancross.ca. Probably should have put AJR on this list, because those, those are three brothers. If there's more in your mind, you can always check my website, which is a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. I update it every day and also send out a free newsletter to keep you apprised of what's happening in music. There are free podcasts of this program. You can get them anywhere you get your on-demand audio, although most people seem to be going to iTunes, which is fine. Like I said, they're all free, and you can get dozens and dozens of them at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Rate, review, and remember to subscribe. We're posting new podcasts every week. And should you have any idea for a topic for a future show, I am all ears. Again, the email address is alan at alancross.ca. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Google+. We should connect. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. 